Some things shouldn't be transparent, like stop signs. But what you pay for should always be clear, like Hiller's true transparency pricing, always clearly itemized and never any hidden fees. Because you have the right to know what you're paying for. For more information, visit happyhiller.com slash true transparency pricing. Happy you'll be of the services free. Call the Happy Face Truck today. Now, nonstop sports talk continues with news and analysis from the lead writer of 1045thezone.com. Not the hero. We deserve to be the hero. We need it. This is the Big Six. It's going to be you. With your host, Jason Martin. I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. Straight up 6 o'clock means only one thing. It means the Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. My name is Jason Martin, lead writer, 104.5thezone.com, host the Big Six. Now on Twitter, at jmartzone. If you missed yesterday, you missed me do that live on air. Jmart outkick, threw it out the window. Wasn't meant to be. Jmartzone, meant to be. You can find us there. We also, by the way, just launched the Big Six logo. It's been little longer than maybe I had hoped to get that done, but we had to make sure it was perfect. Found the right six, found the right font, got it all good. Now we're ready to rock and roll. Means this thing's permanent now. Ready to go. Show number five. Told you I would not waste your time any night, so we get to the big story. We're going to have some fun tonight. There are going to be some light topics. This one's going to be a little bit more of me complaining than maybe usual, but we've got to start with what's in the news. And the big story in the news, in terms of sports right now, first off, we're not going to talk about the LaShawn McCoy thing because there's just not enough out there yet. Terrible story. We don't know what's true. We don't know what's false. We don't know anything. It would be reckless to really talk about that. As more comes out, we'll let you know across the 104.5 The Zone shows, and we'll have experts on to talk about it if need be. But I'm going to put that to the side and... It's just terrible. There's nothing else really to say. But the other big story coming out of the NFL, at least today, was that the NFL Players Association put out a grievance on this anthem rule and the change in the NFL policy. They lodged an official grievance against the NFL for this policy. If you're Look, if you're on the field, you stand. If you don't want to stand, you stay in the locker room. If you don't stand and you're on the field, there's a fine. That's the rule. It didn't fix anything. Made everything far worse. Nobody likes it. Goodell on the chopping block in some circles like he always is, even though he has all the power and leverage due to the way the CBA was negotiated. The argument from the players is that it violates the CBA because there's no basis for saying kneeling or demonstrating peacefully during the Star Spangled Banner is, quote, conduct detrimental to the integrity of and the public confidence in the National Football League, unquote. That's from the... Uh, actual rule book in the CBA. That, this is from ESPN.com. They wrote an article about it earlier today. The NFLPA argues that kneeling during the anthem does not qualify as detrimental conduct, evidenced by the fact that the league has said players have the right to use their platform to elevate issues important to them. The Players Association believes that allowing peaceful demonstrations to be grounds for detrimental conduct discipline would set a terrible precedent which teams could use to penalize players for other peaceful demonstrations, including prayer. Unquote. 
First off, I don't buy this precedent argument at all. This is political. The chances of a conservative league being anti-prayer or seeing that particular thing as not okay simply aren't believable and don't pass the smell test to me. In the end, this comes down to public perception of the NFL, not public confidence in the NFL as was laid out. Those are two vastly different things, ladies and gentlemen. When I read public confidence, I read that in the way I would the Tim Donahue scandal in the NBA or David Stern ixnaying the trade that would have sent Chris Paul to the Lakers several years ago. That seems more legally based, more fraud or collusion oriented, if you will. The reason Goodell and the league are interested in this at all is because they botched it so badly originally and the league ratings took a hit. Now, not everybody that wasn't watching as much pro football last year did so for that reason. But without question, some did. The optics were bad. In fact, they were terrible. And the media relentlessly hammered the point that the owners in the NFL and the league commissioner were kowtowing to the White House rather than defending the quote-unquote rights of the players. Now, I don't have a big six bullet points on this. We'll do a big six topic in the next segment on American Sports Cities. I think you're going to enjoy that. Might spur on a little bit of debate here on a Tuesday. But I do have two things to say here. One, I don't think many of you are going to like. And that's okay. First, though, on the subject of infringing on player rights, which is spelled out in the grievance. Unfortunately for the NFLPA, this is ludicrous nonsense. Because no one is forbidding the players from demonstrating during the anthem or not following the policy. Just like guys aren't imprisoned on a football field for a holding penalty. Or pass interference down the field. Just like we aren't court-martialed for driving 12 miles over the speed limit and getting pulled over. We have the choice, the choice, to break the law. Because we have free will. But the law is the law for us, so if we get pulled over, we might be mad about it, but we know we did something wrong, and we got caught for it. A lot of other people, you can look at it and be like, well, they didn't get caught for it. That's a different argument. In this case, regardless of whether the players feel they're in the right, they're at work. A lot of bosses require things employees loathe that they absolutely hate. Now, I have not laid this case out for you before, but it's coming. I've laid it out in this building before. Visors are the worst. People that wear visors. Look, if there was a Venn diagram out there with one circle, let's say the left circle was titled visor wearers, and the right circle of this Venn diagram was titled awful human beings, those two circles would basically be on top of each other, in my opinion. It's only a half joke. Visors, if you're not Steve Spurrier or Jim Wyatt, are pretty universally terrible, at least on men. Women, that's a different story. But very few people have I met that are visor wearers that I find to be people that I want to associate with. If you wake up on a Saturday morning and you're about to roll to Kroger and you look to your wife and you're just like, hey, where's that gray visor I got when I signed up for that account at the bank? I don't want to know who you are. I have no interest in ever having a conversation with you whatsoever. Seriously, look around and see the people that are wearing visors and figure out whether or not you, you, you feel like you would like those people. And also, I would say that the quotient of those that are wearing visors, if you were to take those people, you could probably say at least 75 to 80% of them also have croquis on their glasses and they're, they're hanging around their neck. These are terrible human beings. But anyway, when I was 14 and I was working at Wendy's, By the way, midday 180 tomorrow, 10 to 2, sponsored by Wendy's. I wore a ratty Wendy's visor because it was part of the uniform. 
I hated it, but I didn't run the company. Made me sort of want to run the company. Both the visor issue as well as the free frosty for life issue spoke to me very deeply as an adolescent. But it's just a rule that's put in place. It's what they do. So the NFL, this is just a rule put in place that is without question best for the business of the National Football League from their perspective. And the business of the National Football League has absolutely, unquestionably, indubitably taken some level of hit from off-the-field-related concerns like this one. But this policy is not a restriction of anybody's rights. You can take that speeding ticket and pay it. Or you can die on that fast food visor hill and pay the price for it, not wear it, and not have a job. You have rights. But the company you work for isn't obligated to keep you employed if you routinely violate their policies. There's a difference here. Free speech is about protection from government. It's not, you can't privately penalize me in any way for saying something you don't like. On a very base level, let me give you an analogy here and think about this. Let's say I'm trying to hit on a girl in a bar. I say a few solid things, make a little inroads, spend a few hours with her that night. Before the end of the evening, I say something incredibly stupid, which I never would, by the way, never would. But I say something just unconscionably dumb, and I don't end up with that girl's phone number. I'm not going to jail for it, but I might not actually see that girl again. The government cannot compel me not to say stupid things. There's only a few select categories of unacceptable speech. If you want to take a stand, fine. It's absolutely fine. But you have to know that there are likely to be consequences based on the current business trends in the NFL relative to other sports. That's takeaway one. That's the one I think most of you might be able to agree on to some extent at least. Here's the one you're not going to like, or I know some of you won't. I've said this before, and it's always brought on some kind of an argument on social media. I don't think the national anthem should be a thing during any sports regular season. In much the same way, I don't think White House visits should be a thing for various sports champions. These two things, one that for a long time seemed innocuous enough in terms of the anthem, have become ways, they've become pathways, they've become tributaries for opportunists on all sides to try and force an athlete into one camp or another on political or social issues. That's what social media is for. We talked all about that in the third segment of the Big Six yesterday. By the way, now there's going to be a podcast. It'll be on Apple soon. But 1045thezone.com, you can get all the shows right there. They're archived right afterwards. If you miss a part of the show, shame on you, but we got you. But that's just kind of the way it is. Social media is there. There are so many places that these guys and any of us, as a matter of fact, have as platforms to push whatever they find important to them. But what about the guys that just want to play the game, be the quiet celebrity or the quiet athlete, have a family at home, not really engage in any of this stuff. And I'm not talking about Michael Jordan or trying to make any kind of statement there. I'm just saying there are people that don't really want to talk about this stuff. I have become one of them, as a matter of fact. A White House visit is now a story, not just because of the people that don't want to go, but increasingly for those that do. I heard Max Kellerman on ESPN say a few months back, that anyone who accepts White House invites should be held to account for those decisions. No offense to him, but no, they shouldn't. 
nor should anybody who doesn't go. Truthfully, there's just no reason for this dog and pony show at all. The anthem that isn't played before a movie, isn't played before a concert or a musical or anything else, it could just, you know, not happen, except maybe in the Super Bowl or huge postseason or championship games, if at all. I love this country to death. I am so thankful and so blessed to be able to call myself an American. But my life is not changed by the anthem's presence. And I don't think it would be altered very much with its absence at sporting events, except that I would have never known who Dennis K. Morgan was. And that's a reason why that that's backs up my point. I'm not talking politics here. I'm simply saying that the anthem grievance seems flawed. It's only going to continue to upset those that are against the protest. It's only going to gin up those who agree with them. We're going in circles and we're accomplishing nothing new. So if it's up to me, and yes, I know it's not, maybe it should be, I say eliminate the anthem and eliminate the White House visits and stop the madness and cut out the pregame festivities as a place for political speech. Or, as college football has done for so long, just have the players stay in the locker room during the anthem as a rule. Yeah, that might not be enough for those that want to see the players apologize, but folks, that's not going to happen. And it's ridiculous to think that it will. What do you think? Do you agree? Do you disagree? Tweet me at jmardzone. Or the phone lines are open as well at 615-737-1045. We're back in a moment with much lighter fare, a list I think you're going to like. What are the it cities, the big six in American sports cities in 2018? No doubt some of you will disagree with my otherwise flawless list. The big six locales are next right here on 104.5 The Zone. Zone. Big six off and rolling here on 104.5 The Zone. Better than Ezra. Band that I saw way back in the day when I lived in Winston-Salem. At a very, very tiny club. Less than 100 people in that place. They were still with their first album. Love them. I know Brent Doherty of 3HL. Knows Kevin Griffin really well. Better than Ezra. Really underrated band for a long time. That was Teenager off their first album. So we were talking about the anthem in the first segment. Not something we're going to do a whole lot is talk political issues, but this being as big an issue as it is, and it being July, it was something that absolutely needed to be discussed in some ways. And I knew that at least the second thing I said, that the anthem not being a thing in sports in terms of being played would be my particular preference, along with White House visits being gone as well, regardless of who the inhabitant of the White House is. And we do have a couple of phone calls. Let's bring on Gary. He's on a cell phone. He's up first. Gary, how are you? Hey, good. Thanks for taking yes, my sir. call. Listen, I could not agree with you more. Um, I was driving home from work and just happened to turn on the radio. I listen to you guys a lot in the morning. But, uh, of course, a business has a right to set rules. My business does. I mean, I know what I can wear to work and can't wear to work. I mean, I know what my behavior at work can be. That being said, my business doesn't politicize uh, rules at work that would that – would, uh, cause me to have to make decisions or to cause me to be uncomfortable. I mean, I've wondered for years why the national anthem in college is played while the players are in the locker and in the pros is played with them on the field. I think, I think either abolishing the anthem at sporting events pregame 
uh, or leave the players in the locker room, I think is the only solid decision. And I appreciate uh, your comments and your opinion. Thank you. Appreciate that, Gary. I agree with you. Couldn't agree with you more. Mark in Nashville up next. Mark, how are you, sir? Yeah, I just wanted to say uh, the players shouldn't be fined, but the NFL should be fined for using the national anthem. The NFL is a business. I don't want my national anthem used to open a new used car lot or a new casino or a new beauty parlor or a new shopping center. I don't want it to be used by the NFL. They're a business. They should be fined for using my national anthem for business purposes. All right. I don't know if I would go quite that far, but that's an interesting take. Um, again, if you have thoughts, you can give us a call at 615-737-1045, or you can hit me up at jmartzone on Twitter. If you already followed me at jmartoutkick, that has now changed, and it changed automatically, and you probably noticed it yesterday. So let's move on from the anthem. If you get, if calls start to roll in, we'll, I'll take them, uh, depending on what it is that we're doing. But I teased this. We were going to do it yesterday, moved it to today. The big six topic today is the big six cities in American sports today. What's the it location? What's the sports epicenter as we look at 2018? This is a shifting thing. It can change based on who is where and things like that. So Los Angeles gains LeBron James for four years, and it brings up a question that can always be asked. And we, you know, you can look into Music City. You can see two of the big four pro sports franchises, a new MLS club, the Sounds, Vanderbilt, Lipscomb, Belmont, MTSU, etc., women's pro football. There's a lot here. Plenty of great venues here as well. Everybody seems to want to bring their business here. Look at the traffic you're in right now for all the evidence you need of that fact. No MLB, no NBA. You can poke other holes, but Nashville on the upward trajectory. But if you were to look at the sports epicenters, the it locations for a sports fan, they have shifted at least a little bit. The big six locations in sports today, according to me. And you know what? I was going to do this from top to bottom, from one to six, but we're going to do this differently. And we're going to go from number six to number one with the big six being number one. And so this could be a little bit of a stretch for you, but the bottom of my list at number six right now, I'm going to put Las Vegas. The Golden Knights support during the Stanley Cup playoffs and the regular season, was pretty eye-opening. You're looking at Derek Carr, might be one of the most talented young quarterbacks in the NFL. Raiders just got John Gruden, so they're going to be splashed across the front pages of a lot of newspapers again. I believe he's vastly underrated. Tomorrow, we're going to talk about the most overrated players, coaches, and things in sports, so look forward to that. But Vegas is going to get the Raiders. And then there's the gambling ruling and the influx of new ways to bet. It's not going to hurt any of the sports books. And the bucket list item of being in a casino during March Madness is only going to get bigger. Plus, you got all the major UFC and boxing fights. And once that football stadium opens, WrestleMania, which is one of the great one-day events that you could ever attend, whether you're a big wrestling fan or not, WrestleMania will come to Las Vegas. And it'll be an awesome week when they do. So I'm going to put it at six. And I don't have like a strong case for anything else. But if you do, at Jmart Zone, if you want to hit me up there. Number five. Or number two, I guess, but fifth on the list is Oakland slash San Francisco. Big reason why is because the Justice League works there and lives there. All crime has been solved. All criminals have been put on notice. By the Justice League, of course, I mean Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, and Demarcus Cousins, plus Andre Iguodala and a solid oracle, no pun intended, and Steve Kerr. And then there's the hope that resides in Jimmy G. 
and a 49ers team that had been an afterthought, and then Belichick basically hands them Garoppolo on a silver platter. And when the Niners are good, that's great for the NFL. The Giants right now, sort of wishy-washy, but usually when that happens, they're about to surprise people. Like, that's why they're at five. They just had another NBA championship. They've got star power all over that place. They're in the IT conference in the NBA, and they're the class of that league, a dynasty the likes of which we have not seen, certainly since the Bulls era Jordan, or the uh, the Jordan era Bulls, rather. So we're at five. So there's a little bit of a drop-off between, I would say, five and six and our top four. Number four is Houston. The Astros just won it all. They're 61-31 and 31 this season. One of the better pitching staffs we've seen since, like, the mid-'90s Braves. If the Texans can keep Deshaun Watson healthy, they have one of the most exciting players in the league, paired with one of his best receivers as well, if you want to add Hopkins. Plus, there's J.J. Watt, if he can stay healthy, and certainly the presence that he is in that community. And then how about the Houston Rockets? They just took the Warriors to seven games. James Harden just won the NBA MVP. Chris Paul just re-signed. Maybe, and it seems, based on Adrian Wojnarowski's reporting this afternoon, that Carmelo Anthony is coming to town, especially after letting Luke uh, Mbaamute leave and not paying him the 5.3 to retain him. There's no doubt there's more interest in that Rockets club than there has been in a long time. And if you want to go back just a couple of years, there's Tom Herman and a success for the Kooks. You can look at that as well. Houston has really experienced a renaissance. The Astros winning the World Series certainly helped, but the Rockets and what they're doing and the way that the NBA is growing and the fact that Harden has become what he's become as an individual basketball player puts them at four on my list. Number three is Boston. Now, Boston's probably never going to be too far below three, and a lot of times they could be one or two. They're always going to be near the top. It's not the city of champions right now. The Red Sox have a shot to win the World Series this year. The Pats are always among the tip-top favorites to win the Super Bowl. We all know this. The Celtics just barely missed the NBA Finals after they shot a combined three for about 45,670 in Game 7 against LeBron's Cavs. But they're coming. We know this. Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and those guys might have the best young coach in the NBA right now. I feel like this Celtics team reminds me of the Spurs right before they blew up. Doesn't mean they're going to win the championships the way the Spurs do, but the build and the the coach and the way that the culture seems to be structured reminds me a lot of that San Antonio club, just like Ainge reminds me a lot of R.C. Buford. And the Bruins won 50 games in this last regular season, had a decent playoff run. So Boston, still right there. Number two, I don't think anybody would have predicted two years ago. Philadelphia is number two. It seems unthinkable, but times have changed. The Eagles just won the Super Bowl. They dethroned Tom Brady to do it, and they did it with Nick freaking Foles at quarterback after Carson Wentz went down with the injury. Jay Wright at Villanova wins another national championship and shot everybody out of the gym during the tournament. And then there's the Sixers. The Sixers have become one of the most buzzworthy teams in the NBA. Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, a lot of young talent. Brett Brown, a young coach a lot of people like. We'll leave Brian Colangelo out of the discussion, but certainly that made news over the past couple of months. I'd also like to leave out, as an Atlanta Braves fan, that the Phillies are tied with us in the NL East. But I guess I'll mention that as well. The Phillies, nobody really expected this from them either. So Philadelphia right now, 
has the current reigning NCAA men's basketball champion in town with Villanova and the current NFL Super Bowl reigning champion in the Eagles as well. Again, seemed unthinkable, but that's Philadelphia at number two. And then number one, which you might as well call the big six, is Los Angeles. LeBron means that much. The Lakers with LeBron James, it's already the NBA's most important, well-known global franchise, and they just got the skeleton key to league interest. Then you add in the personalities of JaVale McGee, of Lance Stevenson, of Rajon Rondo, the question as to whether or not LeBron can win a championship in his third location in his second conference. And there's a lot there. And then how about the Rams? Sean McVay and the resurgence. The Chargers could win the AFC West this year. The Dodgers have been up and down, but they were right there in the World Series last year. And then you've got LeVar Ball in town as well. USC had a Heisman candidate in Sam Darnold over the last couple of years. I don't know if Clay Helton's the guy, but USC seems to be a brand that's back on the right track. And the Kings have had success as well. So if you want to go 6-1, to one, Vegas, Oakland, San Francisco area, Houston, Boston, Philadelphia, Los Angeles. What's your list? At JMartZone or 615-737-1045. On the other side, something that's really gotten on my nerves in sports. That's next. Halfway home. Hopefully traffic doesn't have you down. Big Six will keep you up. This is the Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. I'm Jason Martin at Jmart Zone. Drive-by truckers bringing us back. Little Ramon Cassiano for you on this Tuesday. Laid out the Big Six sports cities as I see them. From 6 to 1 again, Las Vegas, Oakland, San Francisco area, Houston, Boston, Philadelphia, and adding LeBron James puts Los Angeles at number one. You can make a different argument. You can at Jmart Zone. You can call us if you'd like. At 615-737-1045, Ryan Mudd behind the glass, spinning the dials radio style for us today. And uh, he's kind of giving me some updates on some of the callers that have been calling in and have some very interesting things to say. One that actually thought that I hung up on him and that uh, apparently I didn't appreciate his take. No, it's just I'm kind of the host here, so I can't let you talk for seven minutes. So I got what I thought was your take and let you go, but I appreciate you calling in. All right, I said something's been really bothering me. Just getting completely under my skin, grinding my gears, if you will. There's a lot of speculation out there, and I see that uh, our boy PK, Paul Kaharski, wrote an article at uh, paulkaharski.com kind of talking about how Mike Vrabel's a little bit intimidating. Maybe some of the staff, the employees, the players might fear Mike Vrabel just a little bit because of how intense he is. There's been speculation about him. There's been speculation about Jeremy Pruitt as well. They appear to be a little bit different than many of their predecessors in those jobs, as well as many of their colleagues. Both of them have something in common. Neither one of them is proven, like at all, as a head coach. But you're seeing some grumblings from the media, and I say grumblings as if it's a negative. It's not really. But basically saying that although they talk, they're really close to the vest. They're intense guys. They have huge expectations of those players. So last night, for some mind-boggling reason, I'm watching a little bit of Nats Pirates. Like, I have no idea why this is happening. Like, the remote was within my grasp, and for some reason, I watched like an inning and a half of Nats Pirates. 
And I noticed that about two-thirds of that stadium were posing and dressed very effectively as empty seats. This game is boring. Like 90% of regular season baseball games in July. Bryce Harper steps up to the plate. And Tim Kirkchin makes this point that Bryce Harper's demise was exaggerated. He's one off the NL lead in home runs now. Yankee speculation's still there. Okay, fine point. Tim Kirkjian's really good at his job, by the way. But it got me thinking, and that can be dangerous. I'm thinking to myself, great, Bryce Harper isn't acting quite as much of a burrow as we're accustomed to. By the way, that's burrow without a W on the end, as in donkey, as in mule, and you can extrapolate from there. I'm happy he's happy. That's tremendous. Really is. Good for him. But the Washington Nationals are currently 45-45 and and third in the NL East by five and a half games from both the Phils and the Bravos. Looking at the stats right now, they've lost two in a row and seven of their last ten. So here's the deal. Whether it's Vrabel and Pruitt being no-nonsense in their approach or whether it's Bryce Harper, have we overrated the concept of fun in sports as fans because we enjoy simple lives and we like our lives to be simple? What we tend to forget about as we watch these guys and gals play these games, they're at work. We use sports as an escape. Pat Riley famously said that he works in the toy department of human affairs. Some of us, me included, are blessed and able to make a job or make a living by watching and commenting or nitpicking on them like I'm doing right now. But those that we watch are doing this as their job. They're on the clock. So if Bryce Harper playing better stems from him being a little looser, that's tremendous. That's fantastic. But do you remember Dwight Howard? Now, I am talking about Dwight Howard with that last sentence like we watched him on a black and white television set and didn't even know what an 8-track was yet. But he's still in the league. He's with the Wizards. Last year, he was with the Hornets. They shipped him to Brooklyn, who then waived him. He was with Atlanta and Houston before that and did nothing of note in either place. He was a Laker. That didn't work out. And oh yeah, he went to the NBA Finals as a member of the Orlando Magic. He was an MVP candidate with the Magic. Looked like the prototypical specimen for what you'd want to build an NBA big man to be if you were doing so in a laboratory. If you go back and you watch the interviews that he did when he was in Orlando, dude was always smiling and laughing. He was doing impressions of Stan Van Gundy and coaches and Hollywood stars like Schwarzenegger. Having a good old time with life. When he was ever asked about himself, he would do this repeatedly. He would always say something to the effect of, I'm just a guy that just wants to have fun, man. I just want to have fun. He had a lot of it on the basketball court at that point. He put on, remember the dunk contest? He put on a Superman cape. He wins a slam dunk contest. Kenny Smith lost his mind. He's on Nickelodeon. He's doing the whole nine. He's loving life, boy. How much fun's he having in 2018? I mean, the checks are still clearing, but how much fun is he having? And how much fun are his teammates having around him? What is the last positive thing that you heard from somebody that played with Dwight Howard about how he was to deal with in the locker room? This guy was given every physical gift and then some, but his postgame never got better. He worked with Elijah Wan, with Patrick Ewing, with everybody under the sun that you would want him to work with, but his postgame continued to lack, and it still does. Free throw shooting wasn't good. And then his attitude began to tank. Because just like your looks, without substance behind it, unless you can afford all the plastic surgery in the world and eventually Father Time's going to beat out all the doctors, 
eventually you're going to be that person that's breaking out old photos for everybody else to remind them how you used to look back in the day. So bottom line, this Kirkjian comment about Harper kind of brought me here and then thinking about Dwight Howard. But the truth of the matter is I could not possibly care less whether an athlete's having fun if they're losing. Steph Curry does a lot of laughing between chewing his mouthpiece in Golden State. People find it likable. To me, it's a little tired and arrogant, but most people like him. How much would they like it if the Warriors weren't the Warriors? In Tennessee, how would you feel if Butch Jones didn't always look like a Muppet washed on hot when he was on the sidelines last year? Let's say he took that stupid gray trash can and put it on and walked around like he was some kind of robot just, just wanting to have fun, man, and being light while his team's out there getting boat raced. It is great when you have a winner that's having fun, but it's real different when you have a loser that's still having fun. That's all right in Little League. You can get away with that in amateur and in your drunk fest softball league where winners and losers both get pizza. But when you're getting paid to do this or when the business of sports is on the line as it's so important to so many people other than that player, if you're losing, you should not be credited for being jovial. Next time we see Bill Belichick or Nick Saban look like they're having fun while on the job, that's probably going to be the first. You can add Greg Popovich to that list. Phil Jackson didn't smile a whole lot. Coach K is always yelling at the refs. And those guys win and won like crazy. Let's say Mike Vrabel isn't the easiest coach to play for because he's not taking the guys out to King's Dominion every weekend. But they're 12-4. and four. Ain't nobody going to care. But let those same stories come out where he is taking them to King's Dominion every weekend while they're 6-10 and 10 and see what the reaction is then. Sports should be fun, and it often is. I'm really curious to watch Mike Vrabel. I'm super curious to watch Jeremy Pruitt. Both unproven, both with unique approaches. If they win, nobody's going to care about their attitudes. If they're fun, they're great. If they're taskmasters, they're great, as long as they're winning. At this level, sports is a business. So Bryce Harper feeling better, that's good for him, but his team is 45 and 45. Maybe taking it seriously wasn't the issue at all, and the talent finally returned. I mean, he wasn't going to slump forever. He's a great player. Yeah, this is pretty pessimistic, but there are some really overrated and overplayed narratives in sports. And that he's having fun again, so this is why he's playing well, is near the top of the list. Honestly, probably should reverse it. He's starting to play well again, so now he's actually enjoying himself. Life is always easier when things are going well for you. We are all front runners in this world. I don't think we want to admit that, but there are very few people that are not Tiger Woods on a golf course when it comes to their own lives. I know I'm Eldrick. Are you? Just something to think about and something that's getting on my nerves. Enough with the... Oh, but he's having fun. If he's having fun and he's winning, great. If he's having fun and he's losing, I don't want to hear about that when it comes to sports. We'll be right back. One more segment, including Bovada lines coming out on the likelihood of NFL teams to make the playoffs. Where did the Titans come in? I'll let you know. Also, a ridiculous SEC football stat that you want to stick around for next here on 104.5 The Zone. segment of the program tonight glad to have you with us thanks for tuning into the big six week number two show number five i'm jason martin at jmart zone i'm having fun 
but I'm also succeeding and batting pretty high average right now, so it's okay. So I've got one, one, well, one recommendation for you. Not totally pop culture, but a little bit of pop culture that I'm going to get to here in just a second. But, you know, a lot of people have asked me about this uh, via social media at jmartzone or via email, which you can find me, jmartclone at gmail.com. Wide open for you if you want to email me. And they've asked me about my health in a positive sense. As this is not me saying that I'm in trouble. I was in trouble and I'm no longer in trouble. And I've talked about this in other venues, but I have not done it here. And since people have asked and some people find this helpful, I thought that tonight I would go ahead and kind of lay out just a little bit of not really the journey necessarily, but just some of the things that have worked for me. And it's just a little bit of a different way to end. And then we'll we'll, uh, get to these Bavada lines on the Titans as well as one just insane SEC football stat for you to take with you before uh, Michaels and Mueller hit the air at the top of the hour. But a year and not quite a half ago, it was right after the Super Bowl last year when I was down in Texas. I got back from the Super Bowl and I weighed somewhere in the neighborhood of 370 pounds, give or take, maybe a little bit less. I don't think it was any more than that. And for the reason I knew it was that, it's not like I was on a scale to figure it out, but I had to go to the doctor to get insurance for work. And as part of that physical, obviously, they do the weight and they ask you. And it was a couple of weeks after I decided to start hitting the gym and just doing a little bit on a treadmill. And I think they weighed me in that day at like 361, 362. And I've been going for a couple of weeks and I changed my eating a little bit. So I feel like, say, maybe seven, eight, seven, eight minutes, probably about right, or seven, eight pounds, rather. And so, you know, you never know after, you know, the doctor tells you, yeah, you need to do something about this if you want to live very much longer. And I decided that I did indeed want to live for quite a while longer. And, you know, you start to look at yourself and you don't ever realize how big you are when you live with that body every day because you're not seeing your own photos and you're in first person. When you look in the mirror, you can see it, but you're not looking in the mirror all that often. Then when you see photos when you're, especially if you're working in the media and you're taking photos with various people that you've interviewed or doing promo shots or whatever it might be, and you see yourself and you're just like, man, that is atrocious. That's not okay. Not to mention the health concerns. If you want to look at it from a vanity standpoint, that's fine. But if you want to look at it from a health standpoint, that's the more important thing. And so I you know, decided I would listen to him. And I said, look, I've been doing this for a few weeks. He said, keep it up. So I'm at like, you know, 362, somewhere in that neighborhood. And so I go home and I do. And I have to go back there to get some blood work done. And I'm terrified about that. I've never had blood work done. And I just knew it was going to be awful because I had eaten so bad for my entire life. The schedule of driving up and down the roads and just being lazy in my approach and obviously not exercising. All of that was not going to help me. And so I just decided, all right, I'm going to knock out carbs. I'm going to knock out sugar and I'm going to continue to do this treadmill thing three days a week. And then it became four and then it became five. I moved here in May of last year. And the week that I moved here, I went back to the doctor for the results of that blood work and just to kind of, you know, see, th- see how things were to get that follow up. And I was so terrified that he was going to walk in and say you hadn't lost a pound because again, I live with this body and I knew how I looked, especially in comparison to everybody else. 
And so when you look at the mirror, you're still like, man, you still look terrible. Maybe none of this is working. And I had not stepped on a scale at all. And I remember that the doctor walked into the room and he put up his hand and he said, this is for a high five. And he high fived me and he said, you're down 31 pounds in the last six weeks. And by the way, your blood work is perfect. At which point I looked to the sky and realized, in my opinion, that God was giving me a second chance. And he was saying, look, you've got a clean slate right now. You're not in bad health. Don't screw this up. And so I tried to continue to take it seriously. And I moved into a complex, luckily, that happened to have a fitness center and made it even easier for me. And so I just kept it up. And all of a sudden, I'm sitting here right now at this table talking into this microphone, so blessed to have this opportunity. And I'm somewhere around 193 pounds. I'm not going to try and do the math on that, but it's a little bit over 185, I believe, pounds that I've lost since last February. And people will say, well, what are you doing? What are you taking? I'm not taking anything. I continued the same path. I found something that worked and I stuck to it. And I found a larger purpose than me to do it for because I viewed it as a blessing. And so that lack of carbs and that lack of sugar and the inspiration from JT, the producer of 3HL, who's a, a great friend, a great Christian, and just a good dude who did this first, watching him do it, all of a sudden I'm like, maybe I should give this a try myself. And so I did. So here's the advice for you real quickly. If we don't get to these stats, it's fine. We'll do it tomorrow. One, don't be a slave to the scale. I've decided from the very beginning, if something told me in my head and in my heart, hey, look, weigh yourself two Saturdays a month and that's it. Because in that 14 days, if you do what you're supposed to do, the numbers are going to be larger when you step on the scale in terms of what you've lost. And every two hours, you're not worried about, oh, I put on a quarter of a pound or I lost a half pound. Don't be a slave to the scale. Just know your routine, stick to your routine, and then let those moments likely be bigger triumphs for you. If I had another one, it would simply be keep going early. Because like I told you, I didn't know until the doctor walked into that room that I had made progress. Once you find out you've made progress, that is truly life-changing. Because once you figure that out, that spurs you on to want to keep going. So as you're feeling like you're not doing well, that you've made a few mistakes here and there, trust me, just keep it up. We'll continue to give you some of these tips. I might write some of this over at 1045thezone.com and the Big Six blog as well. We got Michaels and Mueller coming up. Let me give you this stat on the way out. Not the, Bova, the uh, Bovada lines. We'll talk that tomorrow. Things that make you go, hmm, SEC edition. During Joker Phillips' three-year tenure as Kentucky head football coach, his worst defense surrendered 391 yards per game. Stoops, his first five seasons as coach, he was a defensive coordinator, by the way. His best defense gave up 394. See you tomorrow. Four, five.